For the Rabbi Laura podcast today, I am extremely happy and a little full of anticipation for my friend and fellow clergy person, Dr. Giles Fraser. Now, that can't possibly be all your title. So, first of all, Giles, introduce yourself, how you would like to be introduced. Giles, that's the best. <laughs> I don't like that's all my titles. Nice. <laughs> Do you know the other person who said that? Richard Coles. He goes, just call me Richard. Yeah. There we we are. love Richard Coles. That makes sense. So, but, but somebody, let's pretend, although I think it would be quite hard, that someone hasn't heard of you. Who are you? I'm a priest in the Church of England. I'm a writer. I write newspaper articles and books. And I'm a broadcaster as well. So I do lots of different things. But predominantly, mm. I'm a parish priest in South London, I'm sitting in my church now, near the Elephant and Castle, which I love very much. Why? Because I love, I love the rootedness of being a parish priest. I love its connection with place and people and the connection that exists over time. This place, this parish has been here since the 13th century and uh, there's a long list of rectors of this church since... 1275 I think it is and I exist in a long line of people who've been here prayed here tried to be a presence here for a very long period of time and I, I find it an honour to be in that tradition. What do you think it is about that longevity and stability and idea of being in place that is good for your personality? What do you think it helps or serves or what does it answer because you're drawn to that, where some people are drawn to peripatetic, moving around mission. I quite like the faithfulness to place. I think it's very important. I mean, on the first night of the Blitz, this place that I'm sitting in now was bombed by the Nazis. And it was rebuilt after the war. And there's a sort of, you know, and it was terribly important for people to get back in here and to rebuild and to, and to maintain that sort of presence. So I don't know, I think there's a sort of, I think there's a calm centre about being a parish priest that you, that, that you represent for a place, even for people who don't even come to church. And I, and I, I, mean, I rather like that. And I think that's been particularly important during lockdown and, and during these last difficult few months when it's rather important that there's been a sort of, I don't know, centre of the wheel, some sort of thing that doesn't really mm -hmm. it's not terribly flashy not lots of movement but it's here and it's a presence and that presence speaks of things beyond the everyday beyond the sort of panicky reactions to things it's just here so do you think a calm center is that you are drawn to calm centers i i suppose because it's such a contrast with my own personality which is quite flamboyant i guess so I quite like the idea that there is a sort of, there is a nub of holy stability somewhere that mm. I can build around, mm. that I can return to. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I often sit in this, I often sit in this place where I'm sitting right on top of the northern line. And often I can hear the northern line rumbling underneath my bottom. And I also have a sense of like thousands, thousands and thousands of people moving through here. And yet I sit in this place often on my own quietly. And I quite like the idea of, of that stillness holding 
the all the activity that goes on. And I suppose that's probably true in my personality as well. Mm, I think so. I think I'm also, I mean, we're both, I think, similar in some ways and different. We're going to talk about it more, but I think I'm also kind of full on. And I like institutions. Yeah. And I like the calm stillness because it balances me out. Yeah. So one of the things that I think you and I have both been interested in and is what's happening at the moment in the sphere of what can be called cancel culture. Yeah. Even sort of talking about it feels a little bit unnerving because, of course, by talking about it, I'm thinking, I don't want to be cancelled. So let's just, for people, some people haven't heard of it. And so do you want to have a go at defining what you think it is? Cancel culture? Uh, Cancel culture is a way of excluding people on the basis of what it is that they believe or stand for, thinking that there are some people who are beyond conversation, Mm. people that you can't discourse with, perhaps because you may well be sort of affected by them, tainted by them. Mm -hmm. There is a sort of there is a there is a sort of idea of taint almost that goes in cancel culture. That there are some people are sort of almost ideologically infectious, and these people need to be that they need to be outcasted from decent society. And the problem with this idea is that the range of of who gets to be outcasted from decent conversation gets narrower and narrower and narrower. So in the end, views that are perfectly legitimate, perfectly legitimate within democratic conversation are themselves deemed unworthy of engagement. So it's a narrowing of our discourse. It's an unpleasant response to difference. And it lacks an ear for the other perspective. It lacks an ear for forgiveness. I mean, I think in religious terms. Mm. I mean, I think it's, it's profoundly unforgiving. In, it doesn't see that people can somehow return from things that they may have said and done when they were teenagers. Or I'm very against cancel culture, and I don't give a damn if people want to cancel me for that. Okay, wow. Okay, I think that's interesting what you say about First of all, I love the language of narrowing because it reminds me of the Hebrew of Mitzrayim, which means Egypt. So Egypt, the place of slavery in the Bible, is the narrow place, Tzal in Hebrew. So it's really the double narrow place. So it reminds me of that. I think with forgiveness goes making mistakes because I'm not a great, I'm sort of forgiveness, not really my thing, but I really want to be able to make mistakes and for other people to make mistakes and still to earn a living and not be sort of cast aside. It also reminds me of the idea of sort of a leper in a way being sent outside of the camp. But on the other hand, there are ways of entering back in. And the other thing it reminds me of is honour killings. So in the Bible, when you have killed someone or are suspected of killing someone, or in our case here is sort of an idea or emotionally killing someone, you would be put in a city of refuge so that the other family or the other side couldn't get revenge by killing you. But you could also come out after a certain period of time. It was connected to when the high priest died. So I really appreciate your definition. I think it's good, really, really good. What's interesting is 
I think that there is a place for cancel culture. I don't like the way it happens because you can make one, you can say one thing and people can just like wipe you out. And what I'm also very frightened of indeed is that it's, it depletes people's resilience, people's capacity for debate. And it does the idea of like you said, tainted. I feel it's like contamination. My gosh, if I go near that or, but there is a place, one of the things behind it for people, I think, is there is real pain and real fear of danger. So the question is, when someone makes a comment, and let's use the most difficult one about trans, for instance, there is underlying that in trans people or allies a real fear because we know that trans people are the number one object of physical and verbal hate crimes. So the question is, is there a use for it at all? I mean, I I wouldn't use cancel culture, but for calling out when someone says something that's absolutely incitement. And Trevor Phillips says an interesting thing. He says, you can say I hate black people, or you can say I hate you, Trevor, because you're black. But don't say to me, I'm going to get other people to hate you. That's the difference, which I thought was quite clever. You know, some git can say you're a bloody Jew to me, or worse. But if he says you're a bloody Jew, A, I'm going to kill you, or B, I'm going to get others to, that that would be the difference. And I suppose what worries me is there is a place to say, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want incitement to racial hatred or homophobia, fine. But a view that I disagree with, let's debate it. So incitement, no, that deserves question about platforming. But what concerns me is the speed around cancel culture and how unforgiving it is. But I do understand, for instance, trans people who say, you know, I'm frightened. So what I want to say is, then let's have a conversation about it. Well, that's precisely what can't be had. I mean, that's, that, so that, that's, that's, that, that's the problem. So there's all sorts of... So I, I know trans people, for instance, who would think that the sorts of things that you might get cancelled for that J.K. Rowling said about what, what constitutes woman. being a woman, they perfectly agree yeah. with. That they perfectly agree yeah. with but that, that they themselves are not able to speak out because yeah. the power of... I mean, it's partly, of course, it's the power of social media. The social media is not a very thoughtful place on which to, to, to discuss these issues. And it has this sort of, like, mimetic quality where, you know, one person piles in and then everybody else follows like bloody sheep piling in. So... Yeah. What was that word you used? Mimetic. It's copying. I mean, people copy. Oh, people right. copy other people. So, you know, you, and it's very easy to copy on social media. So I say, Laura is a bigot because of this, and then everybody likes, and everybody likes, and it piles in. It's not very, you know, it's, it's, you don't get, it's, it's very difficult to have a sort of proper, thoughtful conversation about this. And also, I mean, it's too quick, way too quick. People decide that even the, t the, the, the finest nuances of their position and, and, and not going along with the, the very, very sort of particular detailed ideological points themselves makes them into a racist or a, a homophobe. Or, and this is ridiculous. I mean, this is, get, this, is the, this whole narrowing thing. And what happens is those of us who are, all of us, I think, who are actually on many issues, much more ambivalent than we're often prepared to admit, are yes. encouraged to be quiet about our ambivalence. So, in fact, what happens with cancel culture is it sort of makes liars of us all. It makes liars of us because we're not prepared to go, 
I don't know what it is, and perhaps someone can help me here, but I've always had a problem with this. And you can't mm. say... Well, what does this mean? You can't... You, yeah, what is this about? And, and doesn't this mean this? And isn't this something of a problem? And uh, I'm very happy to be gently schooled or engaged with, but that is a disloyalty to the tribe, if you're not careful. And, I mean, in a way, partly this is why I'm, I feel that I'm on an extended holiday from the left. So the, my history of being on the left has been long and deep and and there's many things about the left that I will still subscribe to but the left sort of went towards identity politics which I find more and more troubling for precisely this reason so I find myself more comfortable in in a sort of odd political place that isn't really the left it's not really the right either but and I don't see myself going back anytime soon because of the way in which the left is now conducting itself mm. it's a hard pl- I mean I think that's right I'm trying to stay in the left but I find myself increasingly frightened both for myself kind of speaking in public like you do and also for young people particularly because I think something's happening that is depleting their capacity to be strong and they're not people aren't fragile people are strong and you can challenge them but something's happening whereby they think if I hear of you that is challenging me, something physical is going to happen to me. I am literally, I'm going to be cancelled. I'm not going to exist. And that is, I'm, I'm worried about young people being uh, depleted by this. There's also a new thing I learned. Do you know what a ratio is? Ratio? On Twitter. Yeah. Oh, it, yes, I do. I think I do. Isn't it the the, the ratio between sort of comments and likes or something like that it's the that's right yeah it's like it reminds me so what it is is giles says something and we say and and then people object so of course i object giles says i don't know we should brexit for instance laura says no okay at which point if i get more likes and retweets than you i've ratioed you which basically turns what was speedy in a debate into the coliseum competition it's a kind of like, how many people can I get to disagree with Giles? Go on, what were you going to say? Well, I just look, Jeremy Corbyn just won a Twitter poll to say that he was the best prime minister that we never had. This tells us a lot more about Twitter than it does about Jeremy Corbyn. Twitter is a place mm. that is dominated by a certain sort of worldview. And those of us who spend too much time on Twitter are all well aware that, mm. that the views of the Twitter shoal, do not represent anything like the views of people in general. It's a different sort of place, and that's okay. I mean, you know, but you've got to... So, you know, if the idea that you say something that isn't particularly liked by a large number of Twitter people, it's like, you know, so what? I mean, it just... That doesn't prove a mm. bloody thing. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I still, I still quite like Twitter, but... And then the other thing about Twitter is if you're a journalist, then it's sort of a central tool of your job. Yeah. You know, you can't really do... It you is. can't really do your... It's, it's a very convenient way of disseminating information in the pieces that you've written mm-hmm. and having some sort of... There's still good conversations that go on on Twitter. And I used to be of the opinion that you didn't block anybody and you kept the conversation as open as possible. But actually now, it's just like some people who just run in 
and want to close things down and want to shout and scream and be rude and basically I just do block them now it's just you know that's my that's mm. my that's my choice life's too short to be dealing with idiots all the time to what I mean I think this is, it's a good methodology also for your health and also for your the quality of what people attach to you which I think is important that means that people who follow you don't feel bloody hell this is a horrible coliseum angry aggressive place Giles's line you know thread I think it's good. Why do you think... So you talked about social media, but is there any other reason you think that cancel culture is coming to the fore at the moment? I think over the last, I don't know, 10 so years, there's been a collapse or a feared collapse of the sort of liberal hegemony of, in terms of its sort of Western worldview, that everybody thought, mm. you know, there's the famous, you know, Fukuyama stuff about history coming to an end because... This was how the future's going to look. It's going to be a sort of liberal consensus, broadly internationalist, focused on individual freedom, all this sort of stuff. That has collapsed. It's collapsed or is in the process of collapsing. It's collapsed because I think, I mean, in part because of the... Uh, I think one of the things that was terribly important in that collapse was the, was the financial catastrophe. And I think people suddenly woke up to the fact that capitalism wasn't delivering what it is that was hopeful. And capitalism is a sort of handmaid of a liberal internationalist worldview. And I think people are beginning to think, actually, this didn't, hasn't served us as well as we expected or hoped it would, or were promised, or were promised. Now, that means that there's all sorts of crazies out there that are happy to suck up people's votes who feel dissatisfied with the economic order and obviously Trump is the, the, the classic example and people who felt that the sort of I guess the Hillary Clinton worldview broadly liberal in favour of capitalism and so forth is hasn't really served places like the Rust Belt and so they have been wooed by people like Trump. And so there's a fight there's a fight on about that, but in a way that has made everything so much nastier. Yeah. And that story is being played out in other places as well in slightly different terms. It's being played out from Brazil to Turkey to Poland, even to Israel, you could say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's a shift in the sort of what we thought the, the but the sort of what what we thought the world was all about right and and i think that's destabilizing for people because people haven't got a sense of what a decent or legitimate alternative would look like and what would what would it look like well i don't know i mean i still think is it i think it was gramsci the mm. left wing theorist who mm-hmm. who said something like you know the old is dead the, the new is yet to be born mm. and i think we're in the old is dead or certainly dying in the new is yet to be born type of era, where the the critics of capitalism don't quite know how to redefine a sort of order of things that keeps the promise to, especially to ordinary people. So where does where does cancel culture fit in? Cancel yes. culture fits in because I think that people fear. I think that many people fear that what's going to come along with this new era is something that will betray so many of the gains that That's happened true. 
over the sort of, you know, last 60 odd years, gains about gay rights, gains about, you know, women's issues. People fear that that's being rolled back and they look at people like Trump and they and they they see legislation, him wanting to roll those things back and they go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. So there's a panic. Yeah. And the panic doesn't have an obvious thing to calm it down because, as mm. the Gramsci quote indicates, there isn't yet emerging a properly worked-up, coherent alternative to a global capitalist order. Right. I think that's a very brilliant analysis. I keep on coming back in my head to your church providing a calm, stable place. So if you don't have a calm, stable place, and there's reality in it, so there is good data in legislation and views of people in power, which indicates to people who have, who were, who are and were physically and emotionally unsafe and got safer because of legislation, actually there's a possibility of going backwards. And they rightly are like, what the hell? That is not happening. That's what people fear, definitely. Yeah, and with yeah. good reason. I mean, that's the point about council culture. You you are, I think, right to say, I don't like this at all. And I don't like this because I think it makes, it takes away democracy and robustness and resilience, all that. And I'm frightened myself of being council, of course, for slipping up or saying a view that people don't like and so on. But finding a way to emolliate it, to calm, to give people back that calm and stable in a church in Elephant and Castle is very hard. And I think it does come through the thing that we are being denied, which is each other's physical presence. The reason that you and I can have this conversation, it's first thing in the morning, I'm looking schlumpy, you're looking fine, is because we've known each other loads of times. And we've been in, but if this was the first time we had this conversation, you and I could not have had, I couldn't have asked anyone else to do the cancel culture thing. Because I know you so well, and I feel safe. Trust, trust is absolutely crucial. Is how trust is maintained in a sort of digital world, and and I think trust is is crucial for decent, thoughtful conversations about our current predicament. Heaven knows it's absolutely vital when it comes to talking across religious divides and all that sort of stuff. But this is not a great format for developing trust. I mean, it's Digital, once trust has been established, once, once, yeah, 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 so at Zoom or any, any of this stuff, once trust has been established, mm. then, that they're, as you say, that then, then, they're, then they're, that, that it's okay to, it, it's okay to use, but it's, it's not a place where trust is established. So a conversation in these liminal times without trust, when there is, as you say, legitimate threats, Mm-hmm. to things that have been hard won yeah. is going to be nasty. It's just going to be nasty. So th- that's what we're contending with. Now, my answer, it's not the full answer, but mm. the, you know, the small answer is that that trust is maintained where there are forms of social solidarity that are rooted in that are rooted in geography, I guess, that are rooted in space, that we, you know, like my church, it's very important to me, it's rooted in space, it's mm. here, it's within a community. And that, that the development of uh, forms of local solidarity that are not the same as the sort of 
Esperanto language, I guess, of capitalism, which mm. was supposed to be spoken by all people all over the world. Mm. I, I think I don't I, I, I don't really buy that anymore. I, I think there has to be a, a developed and this is where people start to get twitchy, but developed forms of, as it were, us, what constitutes us, yeah. a group of people that can talk to each other with trust that isn't hostile to a them that's not its that's not its purpose but it's people who who can somehow talk something of the same language who's something of the same geography something of the same rootedness and through all of that find a conversation is possible that's not always going to spin off into distrustful aggressiveness mm. i suppose that's why i'm a brexiter i suppose that's why i'm a brexiter I suppose that's a definition of of my Brexity instincts, which mm. is that capitalism was destroying, certainly weakening the nation state. And I think that the nation state as an imaginative idea is a place in which people can have a conversation with difference, with a great deal of difference, celebrating its difference, but having a sort of bounded conversation mm-hmm. about who we are and what we're about. And that's convers- that that's nationalism at its best mm. you and i both both love israel and israel is a is a place where for all the pressures all the many many pressures it's precisely that sense that we have something that israelis have something you know it's a very difficult thing but have some sense of some sense of sharedness that that makes the conversation possible and it isn't possible when that sharedness seems to be ruptured so it's called, I mean, in Israel, is the 11th happiest country in the world because of social solidarity. That's why. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who talks in terms of cancel culture in Israel. It's a very interesting thing. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a professor of English at one of the major universities in Israel. And I said to him, how does this sort of cancel culture work mm. in, in Israel? He said, we don't have it. I said, really? He said, yeah. So we've got more important things to worry about. <laughs> he said, I have a class that has Jews and Muslims and Christians in my class. And we have the occupation. We have, all, we have real things to worry about. We have real, real things to worry about. And so people do not pick you up on slips of grammar. People do not concern themselves with the minutiae of your, of your ideological deviations from some perceived norm that actually there is a that there is a much stronger sense of actually this is a indulgence for people who live in places that where where differences are a sort of existential threat that is so interesting. And I thought that was a very interesting comment. I thought it was a very interesting comment. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't call it an indulgence, but it, it at all, because I think you have to assume good intent. And I think people are honestly frightened of the of their safety, their, you know, if you think about, you know, I lobbied very much for the Equal Marriage Act. You know, you think, God, that's going backwards. Or in Israel, for instance, where there's an issue now, Netanyahu is saying, around whether gay men can be, you know, have surrogates, and it's going backwards on the LGBT scale. So there's real things. But it is interesting. It's not going backwards in this country, though, is it? Do you think it's going backwards in this country? I think there is a real fear, a real fear around trans people. And so we need to balance both the fact that it, I think it's dangerous 
psychologically and physically, and people have real fear. And what was so sad about what J.K. Rowling, what happened when she spoke, wrote, is that it for lots of people it made them think feel unsafe. But the discussion that she raised and that Rosie Dawson raised, the MP, is an interesting discussion. So let's have it. It's a great opportunity for trans people to explain. And cancelling other people doesn't help you explain. I need trans people and allies and LGBT people or whatever, Jews, Muslims, Christians, whatever difference you have, people of colour, people from the BAME community, to explain. I don't understand. I'm allowed to say I don't understand or I don't agree without it being endangering my livelihood, my reputation, all those things. But it's very interesting what you said about Israel. In the beginning, you said, I don't care if someone cancels you, which is very brave. I do feel, I do care if someone cancels me because I'm, I'm nervous. But what do you think a question can be that people could ask instead of saying, this view makes me frightened or this, your, I want to cancel you. I never want to see it again. I want to block you. What question could people have in their hands that there's their go-to question that is instead of cancelling people? What would you want people to do when they feel rightly or wrongly frightened by what someone is saying because they're worried about their welfare? When you you say, I'm going to challenge you about how people are frightened by what's being said. What what sense of... I mean, I I understand there are some things that people say that are frightening, but I, I think that's one of those also one of those categories that can be overly extended. Mm -hmm. So people can say that they're frightened about things that I find it very difficult to see what's frightening about them. I understand the difference. I'm slightly suspicious of people being frightened uh, and and the designation hate speech Mm -hmm. uh, of, of, of views that are different from people's own. Those are different things. Uh, those are different things. Going quickly to hate speech, although there is, of course, hate speech. So the anti-Semitism example is very good. There are about 3% of the country who really, really hate Jews. I mean, no messing about. And there's about 30% of the people who say something by mistake, which is anti-Semitic. And then you point it out and you go like a trope and you go and they go, oops, didn't mean that. Oops, shouldn't generalise. My bad. So I think going to hate speech very quickly should only happen 3% of the time, for instance. But the fear, you know, when, let's take Muslim women or trans people, they are, the data shows they are more physically in danger than other people. So that is a, that is a fear based in reality. Now, if you have can hold two things, which is people, let's say trans people, are more likely to be hurt, abused, so on, than non-trans people. But I still want to be able to say, explain to me the woman-man thing. Explain to me why science, you know, where's the place of science in this? So I think you have to hold the two truths. I do really recognise the truth. Having a trans child myself, I am frightened for them. And they, when they talk about them and their friends, you know, I understand that they physically and emotionally feel endangered. And so they want to say, no, enough, which is fair. The question is what they do with their hand that comes out to say enough. And I would want them to say, explain to me what's going on. 
Please I, just, explain. just the only caveat to that. The only caveat to yeah. that. I agree with that. The only caveat to that is the 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 use of the word them is too. You've got to be careful with it. Only because the views are so varied that actually the sorts of you know I, I, I mean I said this before, but there are trans people I know who feel they have views much more akin to J.K. Rowling's yeah. but that would feel that they would are going to be cancelled by the trans community. Yeah, yeah, it's so, true. There is something behind the them. The reason I use them <laughs> is because I can't use him and her. <laughs> so that's part of the thing, the pronoun No, no, thing. no, I, that I understand, but, but, but it's... No, but there is that fear. Any fundamentalism is pants. Any fundamentalism that says my truth is the truth and I will deny you the chance to speak is scary. I agree. Totally agree. I totally agree. Thank you for. And that's and that's the, that's the, and that's <laughs> the and that's the fundamentalism of you with me. Go on, what were you going to say? <laughs> that's the fundamentalism of cancel culture, isn't it? I mean, I would deny you the chance to speak. Yeah. So that's the that's the, that's what that's the fundamentalism that's being that 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 has to be addressed. The fundamentalism mm. there is there is liberal fundamentalism. There is there is fundamentalism of everybody has to be of, of this view of the world. Yep. And I and I and there is an intolerance that that accompanies it. Mm. So yes, I agree with you. I, I hate fundamentalism in all its kinds, but one has to one has to be very careful and recognise one's own what one there's the fundamentalisms to which one is attracted. Even yeah. even people who say things like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I suppose for me, the difference in my view and yours is, I understand their truth. I really do. And so you've got to balance it out. So there has to be a gentleness and a forgiveness. Uh, so does that mean, do you think I don't? Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't saying you don't. You did. You said the difference between... Yes, no, I did say it. You're absolutely views. right. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm not saying I understand it. But I think when you said, I don't get why they're frightened in that way. But I do really understand the fear. I understand why people are frightened of being beaten up. God, yeah, of course. Yeah, I understand yeah. why people have... And, and I think also people's fear of mental health is taken a completely different, you know, level. Get off Twitter! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might work. Get off Twitter! That really, I mean, this is what I said to this person yesterday. I think, why don't you turn Twitter off Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday? It's not good for you. It's mm. not good for us. It's not even good for... I mean, you know, I, I think I probably wouldn't do it if, unless I was a journalist. I think it's actually very bad for you. And it turns you, it makes you angry. It makes you feel beaten up. Yeah. It makes you feel completely misunderstood. And, and when you're clergy, mm. I, I think this probably is probably even more when you're a rabbi, but it's certainly true when you're priest as well. You are the object of all sorts of very peculiar projections. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, completely. Rabbi and a woman, by the way. You know exactly right. So, I, I think Twitter would be a you know when you're the when you become a sort of cipher for when your name or your job or whatever is a cipher for a whole load of other things, mm. then uh, Twitter is a dangerous place to be. Yeah. Thank you for an amazing morning conversation. And also, I, I appreciate, I've really learned from you some articulation around something which I hadn't been able to get my head around as well. So I'm really grateful for that gift. Thank you. Very nice chat Thank to you, you Rabbi Giles, Laura. Fraser or Giles. Yes, lovely <laughs> to chat to you too. <laughs> Cheers, Mum. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 bye.